Listen to me. Let's do that hockey. Welcome to Dauber Prospects Report. This is episode 25. I'm Peter Harling, one of the co-hosts here. And with me, as always, is my partner in crime, Victor Nuno. Nuno, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, Pete. I, I hope people are enjoying talking about these tournaments as much as I am. I, I think it's great. Great insight hearing from the people who have eyes on these prospects at the tournament, don't you think? Yeah, I think so. I think these are an, an undertapped resource. I mean, you take them with a grain of salt, right? They're little small tournaments and they're, there's not really anything at stake. But it's, it, it's a first step in player evaluation. And you get a lot of these players, it's their first real glimpse at the pro level hockey, right? Where they just come out of the draft straight and the first time they wear the team jersey against other teams and, and NHL jerseys is, is these tournaments. So it's, yeah, it's, I think it's a, it's a small indication of what some things to expect. Or you can see some players who are returnees to these tournaments and, you know, they're, they're not dominating or they are. It can be a little bit telling. You can, there's some takeaways here. Exactly. I think you're absolutely right. We, we can't overreact to these things, but it's good information to have. It's just one more piece of data, one more piece of information. If they looked really good here and at training camp and then they start their season well, like all that just kind of builds. But if you if you don't have this information, then you might be kind of caught a little bit by surprise or just be unaware of certain players. And some of these players we've talked about, we we know, and some are maybe a bit surprising of how well they, they did or, or how poorly they did. So it's good to good to know about that. Right, right. And in today's report, we're going to be talking about <clears throat> rookies from the, the tournament hosted by Las, Ve- Las Vegas, featuring the Anaheim Ducks, Arizona Coyotes, Colorado Avalanche, LA Kings, San Jose Sharks, Vegas Golden Knights, the host city, of course. And we'll have a special guest, Megan Angley, from DNVR Avalanche on to break it all down for us as she was at the games. But real quick, before we get into the meat of the matter, we got to get the usual housekeeping out of the way and remind everybody that we are a member of the Hockey Podcast Network. Really excited to be part of the army of fantastic podcasts on Hockey Pod. Please check out Hockey Pod Net for all the other shows like this one, Talking Hockey, Prospects, Teams, Fantasy, you name it, they got it covered. And you can use the DraftKings promo THPN for listening to this show. And you can go to DraftKings and make some bucks once the games start happening again. And you can do some wagering. More on that in a bit. Also wanted to say that Dauber Prospects Report Show is proudly sponsored by Fantrax. And you can use our promo code to sign up for a free league using this link, Fantrax.com forward slash DPR show. You're welcome. Enjoy your free league. So, yeah, we hope you've been joining the uh, the summer series. We've had a lot of uh, a lot of positive feedback on them so far in, in the Discord chat and on Twitter. So we decided to get squeeze in another one here. And uh, we're going to have, as I mentioned, Megan Angley from DNVR Avalanche, a credentialed reporter who covers the Avs. And Megan was also recently a guest on Fantasy Hockey Life with Victor. And that was a really great episode. I enjoyed that a lot talking about Colorado Avalanche players and prospects and goaltenders and covering the gambit on Colorado. So check that out on Fantasy Hockey Life with Victor and Jesse if you missed it. So I'm really looking forward to this episode. Well, we are pleased to welcome to the show Megan Angley of DNVR, who was at the Vegas Prospect Tournament. And Pete and I were 
lucky enough to meet in person at the draft in Nashville. Megan, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you guys? We're doing great. We're really excited to get your takes on what you saw from some of the players at this tournament. And so we're going to go kind of team by team and we'll end with Colorado since that's who you are most familiar with. But we're going to get a couple of these other names in here first. The first guy we want to know about is someone that everybody knows. And this is from the Arizona Coyotes. Of course, Logan Cooley, who was third overall in 2022. And I think in a, in a way too early redraft, he's probably one of the top guys taken. And he just had a monster season in the NCAA for University of Minnesota. 60 points in 39 games and two points per game at the World Junior for U.S. He was going to go back to college and then kind of surprised people saying he was coming to the NHL. Seems like he's pretty ready. And I would imagine he looked a step ahead of pretty much everyone else at this tournament. At least he should if he's going to be in the NHL. So what did you see from Logan Cooley at this tournament? He's exactly as advertised. You know, when Arizona made that selection alongside the option of Shane Wright, I wasn't sure how to feel about it. But in seeing him up close on that stage, because of having familiarity with him, on the college stage before that, he impressed there naturally. That was to be expected. But to come to this stage where there is NHL caliber talent opposite of him, specifically with the prospect pool that Colorado is dealing with, it is an older group with players who've had a handful of pro games under their belt that is playing opposite Logan Cooley and has to defend against that caliber of player. And you could see the stark difference in skill level even coming straight from college in Logan Cooley, he could bend the game to his will. And it was extremely impressive to see him not even fit in seamlessly because he did stand out a step ahead of the rest. And again, just acknowledging that he's competing against his peers who do have some of that pro experience under his belt. He was extremely confident and impressed. And you see the NHL upside immediately and can imagine that's a transition that he could more readily make than some of the other players in this tournament. Is that a transition you could see happening as soon as September? Yes. I think it's very notable that he was immediately put on a plane to go to Australia and get in games for the Arizona Coyotes in their global series games that they're doing because him and Dylan Genther, you know, are two of the players that were included in that. And so I think that's a reflection of where the Coyotes project him to be next year. I think they're building around Cooley being in the NHL lineup. And I think that is reflected in how they're even utilizing him in amping up for this global series. The type of talent they're surrounding him with speaks to wanting to see how he looks with the top six talents, talent in the NHL right now. Yeah, fantasy owners are, are looking forward to that, to be sure. Josh Doan is another player I wanted to quickly pick your brain on. Right winger, he's about 6'1", a 2021 second round pick by Arizona. Uh, and his his dad made the selection, I believe, if I remember correctly. So he's a Arizona born and bred. Arizona's becoming a bit of a, a hotbed for hockey. Um, so as I mentioned, he's Shane Doan's son, and he grew up in Arizona, born there, and played his junior hockey there, played his college hockey there, and now he's bound for Tucson in the American Hockey League. So a born and bred, raised Arizona product, homegrown. He had a 14-game preview at the end of the season last year and put in six points with the Roadrunners to close out the regular season. I'm curious, did his play in this tournament stand out at all? Does he look, does he play like his dad? And is this a player that you think is going to 
stick in the American Hockey League and not get sent down to the ECHL or not stick in the American Hockey League and possibly be promoted before the season's end? It's an interesting question because one, I do see similarities in him and his dad, particularly in the mentality. And I think this is where having NHL bloodlines can be incredibly useful for such a young player because he has a pro mentality in addition to his approach to the game as a player. And in seeing him get an American League games at the end of last year, I think that greatly benefited him going into this tournament because he played with a bit more polish. And I actually spoke with him after the Colorado game. So that's where I can speak to a little bit of that pro mentality being a part of his game already. I don't see him vying for an NHL job out the gate. I see him hindering on the fringes for a little while longer and it's just this one component in his game that he is working towards and I saw in this tournament and it's the two-way game that's the type of player he needs to be to be in the NHL and it is something that he's working on but it's going to take consistent reps and he's going to get that at the American League level as of right now that's where I see him needing the most time because that is a transition from college to American League pace And then, of course, the American League to the National League pace is that added step because the pace is even quicker. But for now, a full season in the American League, I think, would do him some good. And because of where Arizona is in their window, if they wanted to get him in some NHL games to see how he stacks against NHL talent, I don't think that would be bad for his development and to get him a little bit more acclimated to that pace at points through the year. But with looking at the young, promising forward group that is coming up with Arizona, I also don't see the rush for a player like Doan. I was excited, though, by the maturity that he handled himself with in this tournament because in losing Cooley and Gunther so quickly in the showcase because they're jet-setting to Australia, he was a leader on the ice. And so I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity in the American League for him next year to grow. Yeah, you mentioned exciting other prospects. You mentioned Gunther taking off for Australia, and he was the next guy we were going to talk about. And he had 33 games in the NHL last season, and he was almost a half point per game. You know, he was known as a goal scorer and, you know, had six goals, so not too amazing, but also had limited opportunity and playing time. Then he went back to the Seattle Thunderbirds and was as dominant as expected. But yeah, we should definitely be seeing Gunther in the NHL this season. And there's, you know, potential chemistry there already with Cooley. But I'm curious what you saw in the amount of time you got to see Gunther, how he looks, how his game is, you know, maybe NHL ready and and how he kind of stacked up against the rest of the field there. He's an interesting one because he has more pro games under his belt than Down and Cooley by comparison. But he didn't necessarily separate among those two in a significant way. But it also speaks to the talent level of Cooley out the gate being so impressive. And then a little bit of that polish that I alluded to with Don. So this isn't necessarily the merit of Gunther in that respect. It's just that there's more that he needs to do to separate from his peers and establish why Arizona would need to make moves for him in their depth because right now especially with some of the players like Kerfoot and Zucker they have excellent depth and so it's going to be up to him then to make Arizona make difficult decisions and that's going to be adding that quality to his game whether that be through some kind of role playing that he does 
that is undeniable and is needed at the NHL level. And it's not to say that he's incapable of it because the tools are obviously there. There's a reason he's playing on the top line for that limited amount of time in this tournament and does well there. You know, he fits in there. He belongs there. There's just a little bit more that needs to be done to separate. So both Gunther and Cooley are forwards that we're projecting to make the roster, but of the forwards that we're projecting to make the roster, those are the only two that can, that can pass through waivers uncontested. Do you think there's times where the Coyotes just for a numbers game, if everyone's happy and healthy, that those guys get some reps in the American Hockey League this year because of that eligibility? Absolutely. This is where having the American League team in such close proximity to the Arizona Coyotes is such an advantage, especially when they don't have to contend with waivers. It is such a good way to get them that National League level reps as needed. And for Cooley, it's interesting because I anticipate he'll be up pretty full time, but I've seen it done with Colorado players like Alex Newhook, who are ready for the NHL level, but could use a little bit of tinkering and only go down for maybe 10 games at the American League level before they're back up again. And it proves very useful for message sending. So I absolutely could see Arizona leaning on that easy access between those two teams in the coming season. Right. All right, let's shift gears and get away from Arizona and talk about the the host city, Vegas. And one player they have there that I'm particularly keen to to pick your brain on what you saw from him is Brendan Brisson. He's a, a winger, six foot, 185, so pretty vanilla in size, drafted in 2020, uh, squeezed in the first round at 29th overall. He's a product of the Michigan Wolverines coming out of the NCAA. And they're a bit of an all-star team the last couple of years, having some some superpowers on their on their ranks. Um, but he was uh, more of a player than a passenger while he was there. And he was able to keep pace with the big guns. And uh, he since turned pro and he was really good as an AHL rookie scoring 37 points in 59 games. Heading into his second season there now, this is a player I expect will really push for an NHL job very soon, possibly to start this season. How close did he look uh, to being in the NHL to you in the in the game or two that you saw him play? It's a tough question because he looked near as NHL ready as many players I would not like to include in that conversation. I didn't word that well. But what I'm saying is I would view him as NHL ready. The difficulty is, unlike Arizona, Vegas is in a very competitive window. And one area that they have replenished their roster or have kept successful very well is their depth and so I think Brisson has the NHL upside right now and I think his ascension to the NHL would have happened sooner had it not been for some injuries along the way because he has shown well at the American League level and he showed very well in this tournament I think he did separate from his peers as an NHL ready player now the difficulty is he's competing for roster spots with more veteran NHL type players that are trusted in that role. It's not to say that he can't break through it. It's just so hard when the team is Vegas and they are coming off a title. De- you know, they'll be on their title defense season. It just makes it a lot harder than for Brisson to break through. Yeah, it makes sense. And that was the one and only Golden Knight we were going to talk about. And we're going to talk only about one Anaheim Duck. And he's the only one we need to know about. And that's Leo Carlson. He was a bit surprising. We were all there at the draft, kind of hearing rumblings right before it happened that the Ducks were looking hard at Carlson and they they did it. 
We took him over Fantilli, which some of us were a little surprised about, but you can kind of understand why he's big. You know, he's got, he's a very competent center and, you know, he's already played really well professionally in the SHL as a draft eligible, which is very impressive. You know, it, it's, I think the what's up for debate right now is whether he's going to play more than the nine games with the Ducks. And so, you know, part of that might play into how well he looked at this tournament and how he does at camp. So what can you tell us about Leo Carlson and the limited amount that you saw him here at this tournament, Megan? Well, I was also surprised that they didn't take Fantilli there. So I think that my judgment on this is a little bit jaded. I, I really liked Fantilli for the Ducks, particularly because of the benefit to young players right now. And that's where it's still true of Leo Carlson. So what I saw in him is the prototypical power forward. You can tell this is a player, heavy physical game that has played among men. And that was something that he used to his advantage in this showcase. And he did so efficiently too. It was a very disciplined, heavy physical presence. Beyond that though, I'm just not sure where he fits in. But in having some familiarity with Greg Cronin and Anaheim, he is so good at working with young players and bringing the best out of them, especially as young and new to the pro game as he will be. I think it would be wise for Leo Carlson to spend some time with Anaheim Ducks staff and Greg Cronin specifically for the better of his development. And that would be in San Diego or in the NHL? In the NHL. I, I would like to see Greg Cronin get his, get his hands on a player like Leo Carlson. But that has a lot to do with the availability of options in the Anaheim forward group. If that isn't the case, and we're looking at San Diego, it's just, it's more so I know that Greg Cronin, he would be in good hands there. Nice. Well, I'm sure that's music to people who drafted him in their fantasy leagues, maybe disappointed that they ended up with the third or fourth overall pick and, and took Leo Carlson, but must be excited to hear that you're you're impressed with him and and projecting him to potentially be in the NHL right away. That would be fun. All right, let's let's get into let's get into your kitchen and talk about some Colorado Avalanche players uh, right in your wheelhouse. First up on the board will be Oscar Olison. So this is a now 20 year old forward. He was drafted in 2021, round one, squeaked in as well, 28th overall, and he had a nice D plus one season in my backyard in the OHL, playing for a couple different teams. Um, making a nice adjustment to the North American lifestyle. But he played in the American Hockey League last year and kind of struggled a little bit. Um, 20 points in 63 games, didn't really tear it up. Um, so he needs to kind of, I think he needs a big year this season to shift the trend in his development back towards moving the needle in the up direction. So I would expect that he would have been one of the players in this tournament that really stood out. Um, I. Tell me what, what you think about that and how did he show in the tournament? When we get to talking about San Jose and Thomas Bordalo, I think we'll find very similar conversations surrounding both these players. And the thing with Oscar Olison is he has that first round pedigree. And with that, a lot of doors are open to him. He has top line opportunity at times, top power play opportunity. He's given a lot of great ice at the American League level. He makes his NHL debut last season. Obviously, the context of last season is also important here in seeing all of the injuries that affected the Colorado Avalanche. That gave rise to opportunity for Olsen to make his NHL debut. And it was hampered because Evan Rodriguez got hurt in that game and the forward lines were shifted 
and his minutes, which would already have been so limited, were cut. So I don't think that is a really fair body of work to evaluate him off of. But the American League season is to some degree. It's his first full pro season. And it didn't jump off the page at you. And that is significant because we go back to the first round pedigree and then expectations that come with that. He floated a little bit throughout the middle six for the Colorado Eagles group. And Greg Cronin, in the time that he did get to work with Oscar Olison, was really effective in his teachings in getting Oscar to be more of a hunter for pucks. And at times he could be caught puck watching. And so this was then the remedy was to get him to be even more engaged. And you saw it translate. Like this was messaging that he was receiving and trying to implement his game. And then it became about implementing it consistently. And that's sort of where the issue still is with Oscar Olison, Because you see another one of those messages was that he needed to be a bit more physical, for example. And in game one of the showcase, you saw the physicality, but it needed to be a little bit more intentional. And so in game two, he had a little bit of a tougher game. Game three, one of his best of the tournament, one of the best players in the tournament in game three for Colorado. And it's sort of like the synopsis of his showcase is very similar for how he felt about his first full pro season. There were hints at things that he does really well. For example, he has an incredible shot. His player profile early on was compared to Andre Perkovsky for a reason, and a lot of that being his shot. And when he does just shoot, especially on the power play, you see how that can be an NHL caliber shot. It's definitely potent. And I think something that he does well is distributes the puck. His playmaking ability has a creativity to it that can be really effective. He can get passes through lanes that you wouldn't necessarily expect him to. But we go back to those things that he still needs to do consistently in order to crack an NHL lineup that just aren't in his game full time yet. And that's where there's a little bit of concern and why it is important then for him to take a really big step in this next year. And I want to give him some credit. I alluded to the injuries of last year, but they didn't just affect the Colorado Avalanche. It also affected the Eagles forward group. And so at times, his line mates last year were very inconsistent and shuffled. And so my hope for Oscar Olison is he will seize the opportunity and having hopefully some more consistency going into this next year to really take that big step forward. Excellent analysis there, Megan. Light the lamp with DraftKings Sportsbook. Right now, new customers can make a $5 bet and score $150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up with code THPN. That's code THPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Let's talk about another one of the Colorado Avalanche prospects. And this is someone who I frankly didn't know that much about, but Sam Malinsky is the next guy. He's a 25-year-old right-handed D. He's 5'11", just under 200 pounds. And he was undrafted. He played in the NAHL during his original draft years and then went to Cornell. And they didn't play in the COVID season. So he's had basically... uh, three seasons at Cornell and this past season, 22, 23, he had 26 points in 34 games and then got the ATO with the, with the Eagles and had five points in seven regular season and the same production, although all assists in the playoffs. I'm telling our listeners all this, Megan, you know this, but I'm wondering what you think of him because I know that he's been 
kind of impressive in some circles. And shout out to my co-GM in one of my leagues, Mason Black, who said, hey, we should uh, we should add the Sam Malinsky guy who I didn't know anything about. And turns out he looks like he might be pretty good. So what can you tell us about Malinsky? I'm so thrilled for you guys to include him because I know at 25 years old, he is an unconventional prospect. And I've been joking that because of the COVID season that Cornell didn't play, we should actually just consider him 24. But it's more so because I do understand that at 25, you expect a player like Malinsky to maybe translate his game to the American League level a little more seamlessly coming straight from college than other younger players. And similarly, in a showcase opposite 18-year-olds, you do hope that the 25-year-old shows well. And he does. But where I think he makes up a lot of ground and why he's an interesting player to start talking about is a couple reasons. He closes out his college season very well. He's running Cornell's top power play unit. He wears a C. He brings about a calm presence in the way that he leads his team. And he starts to draw attention because the the parts of his game that are just good but could become great are still really important for a modern defenseman. And that is skating and mobility. While it's not excellent, he is still a very agile skater. He's physically very strong in his skates as well, um, not easily worked off the puck. And so the defensive details, because of how well he plays offensively, I think sometimes get overlooked, but he's a very smart player. And that's what I'm excited for, because I've watched other players in his position make the leap from college to pro play. And that transition is not always so easy because the pace is very different and they play are playing against guys who are bigger, faster, stronger. But for Malinsky, keeping in mind that he's getting dropped in some very tough games. Colorado Eagles are on the road and they're heading towards the playoffs. They're extremely beaten up and Malinsky quickly secures top power play minutes. He is quarterbacking PP1 for the Colorado Eagles. He's doing it well. He is generating scoring opportunities, but he's not a liability in his own end. And I think at the American League level, when you look at what it means to be a defenseman in that league specifically, I think there's a little, there are some more challenges that I think it presents. And Walensky, compared to a player, I hate to throw anyone under the bus, but you look at someone like Ryan Merkley, who had years of pro experience under his belt, comes over from the San Jose organization and is struggling in his own den a little bit. This is just where I saw Malinsky separate from his peers at the American League level. And to do so with so few games was very impressive to me. And then in this tournament, he's also the captain in this tournament. He is then leading his team for the Colorado Eagles or the Colorado organization um, through this showcase. And he does so very well. There's a poise and a calmness to his game that speaks to a mental maturity that's going to benefit him when the stakes get higher and the game gets a little bit more chaotic. And then the other thing is in knowing his path to pro hockey, He was a highly coveted free agent for a reason. Colorado wasn't the only team that came calling at the end of his college career. And it's for good reason. It's a lot of the character side of things that he's going to be a great cultural addition no matter where he goes. And then I always go back to how smart he is and that I think the defensive details with more reps at the American League level will soon translate to a possible NHL role. I mean, on the Colorado side of things, we're already talking about that possibility and seeing a long list of injuries come out as camp opens. 
and kind of looking at the bottom of the Colorado Avalanche's decor right now and seeing maybe there's a chance for Malinsky. And then, of course, the coveted right shot doesn't hurt things, but there's a lot of things to get excited about with Malinsky. I'm so glad you actually brought up Merkley because I was going to do the same thing. I have watched Ryan very closely since his dominant years in the OHL and the lack of progression and just overall awareness defensively and effort at times struck me years ago that when I stopped seeing that progression that he was going to have a hard time being a professional NHL defenseman or just a professional defenseman because yeah you can't just be out there and try to do all the offensive things and I think it speaks volumes that they acquired Merkley they they try to give him these opportunities but he continued to be a liability in his own zone and you can't you know, you can't necessarily tolerate that. And I think it also shows that, you know, Merkley is now in the KHL. He's not even in North America anymore. So I think that's really impressive with what you said about Malinsky. And yeah, that's a very difficult situation to be dropped into coming straight out of college and, you know, going against these really tough, big players, fast players in the AHL. It's a difficult situation that not everyone can handle, could handle very well. And I, I think that's really speaks a lot to his, ability and effort level. Absolutely. Can I ask you a a follow-up as well on Malinsky? Because I don't really know much about him either. And now I'm considering putting him on some watch lists in my fantasy leagues. Um, What's his physicality like? He's pretty average size, 5'11", about 180, 190 in that neighborhood. Um, How does he handle the the physicality and and the hitting and the shot blocking and all that? You know... It's interesting, like he absorbs contact well. Don't think I would consider him weak on either side of the puck. And he um, is very quick to sacrifice the body too. But where I talk about him being a smart player is if there is an option to, to defend differently with a stick, he will use that option and it's very effective. Um, and so sometimes it avoids that physicality because he makes that smart choice defensively that doesn't require playing the body. And this is where I don't want to get carried away, but there are shades of Devon Taves and how he likes to defend um, so creatively that I think I see in Malinsky at times. I like the sound of that. I mean, obviously I'd, I'd like it if he was a hit throwing machine that would give me more points, but, but by avoiding physicality, that takes a toll, right? On our previous episode, Gus Katsuro has talked about that and saying how, that physicality, there's there's a price to be paid for that reckless abandon, and it can shorten players' ice time and, and longevity and careers. All right, so that, that's a lot of really good information on Sam Malinsky. Thank you very much for that. Another player I want to hit on is Matt Steinberg. So he's 22-year-old center, um, 6'183", right in that same, same size range. He's a third-round pick of the Avs in 2019, and his development has just kind of been hard to hard to trace um what what his trends are making it really hard to determine where he is in his development or what his upside could be so he had you know 10 points in 27 games as a freshman at cornell he didn't play a sophomore season i'm assuming that's due to covid and that was like 2020 he had a breakout junior year scoring 29 points in 28 games um, and then last year as a senior, he only played 18, 18 games and had seven points. So I'm, I'm assuming there was a significant injury in there. So he'll be an AHL rookie this year. 
what's your what's your file on Matt Steinberg? What did you see in this tournament, and what are your expectations for him? Yeah, you know, it's the timeline is exactly as you described, and that's why the context of it is important. You have this limited body of work, but it's hard to avoid. He misses a year because of COVID, so nobody's on the ice, at least from the NCAA level. And then he does have an injury his senior year. He misses half that year. So it just gives you very limited to evaluate him off of. But that significant junior year, I think, encapsulates the type of player he hopes to be. We talk about bloodlines that he is another player who has a little bit of the pro mentality um, through his family. And so he's an interesting one because in talking to Sam Malinsky's college coach about him, I talked to him about Steinberg as well. And he's a player who plays with an edge. He's very frustrating to play opposite of. And you saw that in this showcase, the way in which he would bait other players into doing bad things, but also get baited into doing bad things. Um, He definitely is very vocal on the ice to, to the point of irritating his opposition. And so I think the hope for the type of player that he wants to be at the pro level is sort of a, a Swiss army knife because he can PK. There is some of that offensive ability too that you could, depending on the level we're talking about, also put him on a power play. This is how he was utilized in the showcase. I don't know with the Eagles group specifically if he would be used in that way, but he is building this portfolio to be a bottom of the lineup type player because of the blue collar things that he does. The only thing that's that remains to be seen a little bit is if he can, I don't even want to say it this way. I'm trying to think of a better way to reframe it because I also be cautious that I've also only seen a limited body of work at the American league level as well. It's, it's the offensive upside. Like if it can translate the way it did his junior year at Cornell to the American league level, then we're having a serious conversation about a path to the NHL as a bottom of the lineup guy. But that's just what's always a little bit tricky about these college guys, if he can figure that out at the American League level first. And I'm just not 100% sure of that at this point in time. But the other things that he is doing that make him that kind of edgy and difficult to play against player will benefit him because not every player is wired that way. And it can be a huge advantage to have someone like that. Nice. Great insight on him as well and the last guy that i'm gonna ask you about from the avalanche is someone i also didn't really know much about and that is jeremy hansel so he was just drafted 2023 sixth round pick i have to be honest by the end of the draft i was kind of following people around trying to listen in on different interviews and i didn't know a lot of these later draft picks so well so i didn't really uh, pay as much attention but he seems like an interesting guy, and he's an overager, six foot, left-handed D, almost 200 pounds, and he was with Seattle. And it's easy to kind of get lost in the shuffle of the Seattle Thunderbirds. They were such a great team this past season, and good the previous season too. Things might be a bit different this upcoming season when a lot of their star players are gone, but it gives him an opportunity to kind of show what, what he can do. And so I'm interested to hear what you saw from Jeremy Hansel in this tournament. He put the outlet I work for in such a tough spot because we want to see him at the American League level next year. We feel very strongly about what he has shown through development camp and this showcase that he might have tapped out all that he could learn and doesn't have a need to go back to Seattle. 
but we could be getting a little carried away with that too. And it's just because starting from seeing him in development camp straight from the draft, he among his peers who include a lot of players who had many pro games under their belts, he had a pro polish to his game already that impressed out the gate. And then the other side of it was a type of speed that will sneak up on you um, alongside the polish. He, he worked great behind the net, retrieving pucks, breaking out the puck. And in the showcase specifically, the evolution from game one to game three was pretty significant. So he started trying to remember from game one, if it was a second pair role, he was quarterbacking the second power play unit throughout it. So there is this other offensive side of his game too, that by the end of it all, he was on PP1 because Malinsky didn't play game three. So in game two, he's elevated to the top pairing with Malinsky. And because of how Malinsky stacks in their depth for the D in this tournament specifically, Malinsky's at the top of it, right? So to promote Jeremy Hansel to that pairing with Malinsky was a huge accomplishment for Hansel. And it's because of how well he showed in game one. And then by game three, Malinsky gets the night off. Hansel's on that top pair still, but now he's playing on his offside on the right there. And it also illustrated the versatility in his game. And this was a game that I don't think this particular lineup for Colorado had any business winning, um, but they managed to pull it out. They had some defensemen skating as forwards because they got a little beat up in the tournament. Obviously, Malinsky and Steinberg, because they got that game off, just depleted the lineup further. And so this was the Jeremy Hansel show. That pro polish that I've alluded to was on full display. He was given so much responsibility then on PP1, top pairing on his offside. That just made us really excited about everything we'd seen through that point. So without getting too carried away, he has really impressed us over here at DNVR. Nice. I love these deep cuts on Colorado Avalanche players. I'm totally digging this. Um, one more. I got a bunch more players I'd love to talk to you about, but we're running out of time here. Um, Ivan Zhigalov is another player that I know pretty well. He played for the Frontenacs for a season there, and he's he's a Colorado prospect now. I think he was the last player selected in the 22 draft, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so how's he looking? Because I was really impressed with how he played with Kingston, he was a really, really strong goalie for them, particularly on, on breakaways or shootouts. He was pretty unbeatable in, in those situations. Uh, so, so how's he, how's he looking as a, as a potential pro player here? I think he's going to the USHL next season, maybe like I saw that on your Twitter feed. Yeah. And that was actually an interesting change. He was going to go overseas and play in the Belarus pro league. Something had happened and he didn't want to talk much about it, and I don't necessarily blame him, but I think it's for his overall benefit that he comes back to North America and will go through the USHL. I personally like that league, um, and I think it keeping him in North America keeps him closer to Av staff and just will give him even better access to some of the tools that they'll be able to help even further with his development. But I liked his... Um, last year with Kingston as well because I'd seen him the development camp prior to this one and I thought he still looked a little bit raw then I thought he had a great year uh, with Kingston so I'm back at this development camp this last time around definitely noticed an improvement and what's tough to evaluate him from this showcase specifically is the game that he was in 
was just a little bit of a tough game. He was under duress pretty early into it. And so I don't think it was specifically his best showing, but I think a full season in the USHL, getting to evaluate him with the Tri-City Storm will give me a better idea of where he's headed because the trajectory for goaltenders is so different from other players too, that in my eyes, he's still so young and moldable that I don't have a strong opinion either way, but I do see the immediate benefit in hearing him talk about working with goaltending coach for the Colorado Eagles, Peter Budai, who has worked with goaltenders that remind me a lot of him. I've seen their improvement take big leaps from one year to the next. So I still have a lot of hope for Zhigalov, and especially because of when he was drafted, right? Like he was drafted so late for Colorado that this could really go a lot of different ways for goaltenders. I feel like they defy their draft status all the time. And so I'm still excited for him as a goaltending prospect. And I think this is a position too that Colorado is investing a lot into development as we speak. And so I think that's only something that's also going to improve as he gets a little bit older as well. Nice. Great stuff on all the Colorado Avalanche prospects. And I know you didn't get really a chance to see any of the Kings prospects and only one game of the Sharks, but I was wondering if there's any comment you can make on any of them, you know, a little insight. I know it's just one game, but uh, any, any comments on any of the Sharks players perhaps? Well, in, you know, talking about Thomas Portolo, I alluded to him, early, him earlier because of the similarities in the conversation surrounding Oscar Olison and with Bortolo too, where I've seen him a little bit has been through Michigan WJCs and now some time with the Barracuda and then of course there's been a couple um, NHL games under his belt as well so a pretty interesting variety of games that I've seen him in but he is just so close to being able to break through to the next level and as I alluded to with Oscar Olison it's a matter of consistency and doing that thing, and I say thing, which is so vague, that is going to separate him from his peers to make San Jose decide that he needs to be in the NHL right now. And I think that the the playmaking and the way in which he distributes the puck has never been an issue in his game, drives inside ice. Like that side of the game has been so important. I think it's just tending to the defensive details when it comes to the, the game in his own end that I'm still looking for just a tiny bit more. And that will be what separates him, I think, and takes him from one level to the next. And he's just a hair from being there and is very close. I didn't want to put you on the spot on the show, but from a selfish point of view, I do have a couple of questions. If you have like just just quick thoughts on a couple of names I might throw at you. Absolutely. I didn't know if you guys were running short on time. So first one would be Ben Myers. I own him in a couple of my fantasy leagues. Should I should I keep him? Is he a player you can see making it? Yeah, he's. He's so interesting because I do believe that. I think he was, unfortunately, the recipient of a lot of bad luck last year. He was on the doorstep of so many scoring opportunities that didn't happen, but should have. And then where he actually did generate points were the most silly of goals. But he worked really hard on his two-way game in Loveland in the time that he spent there. And I was a little worried that the goal scoring from college was not going to translate at the next level, but it did eventually come at the American League level for him. And so he started to build a little bit of trust with Jared Bednar. And in looking at line rushes, even just camp opening today, who appears to be their fourth line right now is Ben Myers centering that fourth line. And so seeing that just opening day camp with a couple forward spots up for grabs and a few 
kind of NHL journeyman types that are in contention there. But seeing Ben Myers get that opportunity makes me believe that they are going to run with him there. He became so much more a, a better defensive forward last year because they had him work on that specifically that I think with some more consistent talent around him, it's going to be better for him. Last year, a lot of players did not have consistent line mates, and sometimes it was players like Curtis McDermott playing as a forward, and that is to the detriment of everyone. So I still <laughs> really do believe in Ben Myers, but he does have a big step to take, and I, I'm hoping that he does. All right. So, I mean, I'm not counting on him to, to lead my team in points. He's a, he's a depth player, so I'll hold on to him by the sounds of it. Uh, what are you hearing about Nikolai Kovalenko? It's, we don't want to get too carried away on our side of things because it's an interesting league to show well in because there are lots of like literally former abs who failed to, to make it playing in that same league and doing well right there alongside of. And so it's always interesting to see. But everything that I'm hearing from the organization based on what they are seeing from him is slating him to be at least in a middle six role. But I, I think people are even toying with the idea of a second line wing role for him when he does eventually come. And it's just because of how well he is showing in the KHL right now. And this isn't just media hyping this up. This is genuine belief that I think the organization has around him and for his future usage. I'm glad I drafted him. Uh, I also drafted François, and I'm hearing that he's not healthy already. Yeah. I wish I had better news <laughs> um, because we love Pavel Frantos here. He's one of the nicest human beings ever. And he's an excellent backup who, when healthy, could probably vie for a starting position somewhere else if he wanted to. The trouble is the health. And I don't think it's as bad as he doesn't return to the lineup at some point this season, but it is bad enough that I'm hearing conversations about dipping into the waiver wire for a goalie in the near future. So not season ending, but long-term. Yeah, it's, it's not sounding great. I, I don't oh, know how long-term, if so. Uh, fair enough. He's um, one of the, my, my most disappointing players, just because I think he's really good when he plays, but like Auntie Ranta, who just can't seem to stay healthy for long term. I mean, Ronta has had more of an NHL impact, but I've always thought Franzos could be better if he could just be in games. <laughs> you know? Yeah, like, come I, on, man. I agree. Oh, that's a bummer. I might have to look to the waiver wire too. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, it's easier for us to add off the waiver wire than an actual NHL team. <laughs> yeah, so yeah true. I, I got options. Uh, Megan, you, that was great. You've got some really great insight and, uh, you know, you obviously you're, you're study the game. You understand it very, very well. And, you know, right down to the, the scouting analysis points that you were making were, were really astute. So, um, I'm looking forward to having you back on and on a future episode someday, if that's all right. I love that. No, I always try to broaden my prospect knowledge too. So I really appreciate that you guys. Would you please let everyone know how they can follow your work? Because if they aren't already, you, I know, are putting some really great content out there. Absolutely. You can find me on Twitter or X, whatever you know it as now, at Meg Angley, A-N-G-L-E-Y. And a lot of my written content is on thednvr.com. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Megan. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening to Dauber Prospects Report number 25. 
for feedback on the show or to chat with us, follow us on Twitter at DPR underscore show for the main show at Farling, P-H-A-R-L-I-N-G for Pete, at Victor Nuno 12 for me and at Sabra 91 for our producer, Evan. And if you do want to come in the Discord, you can just reach out to any of us to get the link. Most of this is talking about the DPR listener show, but there's some other stuff going on in there and happy to interact with you there if you like. And don't forget to follow at HockeyPadPodNet for all the great podcasts on the network. Subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or the aggregator of podcasts of your choice. Leave us a five-star review. It really helps out the show, and we would much appreciate it. Until next time, don't forget to keep your sticks on the ice. Let's do that hockey. Hockey.